Hi and welcome to the Via News BB podcast, the change makers manual for the young and the curious. Through news and interviews, we decode how the world around us is changing and how we can change it for the better. I'm Asmita, a teacher, a writer of the Via News BB newsletter, and just someone who's figuring out how to navigate the news without losing their mind. And hosting today's episode with me is my awesome colleague Prashita. Hello everyone. I am Prashita, 11th grade science student interning at Via News City this summer. I am also a founder at Educating the Educators, a community organization speaking up against the prevalent injustices in curriculum textbooks. Wow, that sounds super interesting. And while I think we can do a whole podcast on understanding the cool things that you're doing, including educating the educators, what I want to ask you today is, have you been to a forest recently? No, to be honest, I have never been to a forest. I grew up in Mumbai. That's as metropolitan as it gets. And even my native place is a city. So being lost in the midst of nature is not something I have experienced yet. Although... I think forests are mysterious beings, full of beauty and terror. What about you? Do you often find yourself surrounded by nature? Well, I don't often find myself surrounded by nature. But like you, I find forests to be super fascinating. Somewhat scary also, but mostly fascinating. I think I fell in love with forests on a school trip to Panna National Park with my students in 2018. In fact, I think I even remember the exact moment when I thought I've got to do this more often. I was in a jeep with four super fun girls from grade six. It was early morning. We were super cold. Also, I'm not a morning person. I hate the cold. So let's just say I wasn't the most pleasant person on that jeep. But I was supposed to be the responsible adult. And so I told the girls that the best way to enjoy the experience was in silence. So you could hear the sounds of the forest and just generally be more alert if you wanted to catch a glimpse of the big cats. And I almost said this even without thinking about it, because these were instructions I was supposed to give and follow, of course. But here's the thing. As we drove through the forest in complete silence, just naturally, organically, I became completely lost or mesmerized by the sights and sounds of the forest. I was fascinated every time we crossed a water body thinking, hey, maybe a tiger drank from this water some minutes ago. And I remember I kept staring at the treetops in the hope of catching a glimpse of a leopard sitting on a branch. And I was all too excited. And I knew that I was hooked. And by the way, we did see a leopard on that safari and it was incredible. Then on, I'm always on the lookout to spend more time in forests. Wow, that trip sounds super interesting. And while I'm super glad that you had such a good time, our interactions with forests aren't always great. We are losing forests at a rate equivalent to 27 soccer fields per minute, all thanks to deforestation. Urban populations often look at forests as a monetizable resource, a literal gold mine. If you were to take 50 people and leave them in a forest, More often than not, they would set up an industry powered by trees. To expect them to have a symbiotic relationship with forests is frankly an utopian ideal. On the other hand, indigenous people like the Santal tribe of West Bengal have a much deeper connection with forests of both love and care. Their biocultural knowledge has enabled them to sustain life through the ages. 
since their livelihood highly depends on utilizing timber as well as non-timber forest products such as nuts fruits ornamental pods and medicinal products they are much more conscious of the fact that trees are life givers hence they protect conserve and care for forests unlike metropolitan industrialists who are motivated solely by greed how interesting that the closer that you are to a forest like living in close proximity of one the more likely you are to be respectful of it and value it more as opposed to someone who's using all the benefits of the forest maybe miles and miles away people like us so maybe it is that cultivating this relationship with forest requires us to step into one Yes actually when we start seeing more and more of trees and flora and fauna we get attached to it which does not happen when you are just surrounded by buildings of cement and stone I agree I agree and I think speaking of spending time in natural environments in the midst of interesting flora and fauna let's call on both today's guest who actually happens to do this for a living Joining us for today's episode is engineer turned eco entrepreneur and the founder of A Forest Mr Shubhendu Sharma along with his team at A Forest he has grown over 100 plus forests in 10 countries of the world all the way from Rajasthan to Nicaragua and what's really interesting about these forests is that not only are they biologically diverse they're also self sustaining I personally could not be more excited for this conversation so let's get started At the start of the episode I was just telling Asmita about how living in an urban area has limited my access to forest and uh, you have created forest in Rajasthan Iran and the Singapore Zoo even the Bangalore airport can you tell us more about your most interesting or your most challenging forest creation project Great So the most challenging project so far was Rajasthan the reason why it was so challenging was to grow a forest the soil needs to have some life in it in Rajasthan because the soil is always exposed to sunlight over a period of time all the life in soil will die and it has died in most of the barren lands of Rajasthan so the hope of initiating life back into the soil was very meager when we went to execute our first project in Rajasthan that's when we had to start researching into soil microbiology and how to revive soil microbiology luckily we were able to solve the problem by getting deeper into microbiology development in soil because of that today we have overcome that challenge but new challenges have arisen Wow, that is so interesting. And on that note, I think Prishita has a question for you. So I'm going to hand it over to her to ask the next one. You switched careers from being an engineer to a social eco entrepreneur. What was the source of inspiration? Was it through one of the walks in school that you realized you have an inclination towards forests, or was it something else entirely? Maybe a little later on in your career. Prishita, I always wanted to become an engineer, and I was. fascinated 
by machines. And I, I still am. For me, the dream job was to get into automobile manufacturing at Toyota because Toyota at that time and even today, but that time it was the, the biggest automobile company in the world. I finished my engineering in 2007. Exactly after one year of finishing my engineering, I joined Toyota. I got into the company, but it, it was meeting Dr. Akira Miyawaki in Toyota where we had a session with him, just like this session. What moved me so much mentally was some of the before and after pictures that he had shown in that presentation. And when I saw Dr. Miyawaki's work, I said, I found a way to fix those damaged ecosystems in such a small period of time. And that was quite life-changing. You know, it was just a half an hour lecture. And in that half an hour, probably the seed of the idea that this is something which I should be doing professionally or for the rest of my life. Something changed in that half an hour. So that was where the inspiration came from. Otherwise, before that, though I lived just half an hour away from the Jim Corbett National Park, I had never been in it. That makes a lot of sense. So to go ahead, maybe do next time, whether he have any questions. What do you think is the biggest problem and threat to our forests? How can it be overcome slash avoided? And can we incorporate forest-friendly practices in our daily lives? Thank you for that question. I think it's uh, very important to discuss the part of climate crisis and forest conservation together. If we can just focus on our local vicinity, we can actually revive an entire forest without even leaving the city. So instead of making an effort to fix a forest which is far away from the city, right now we should be focusing on the city forest because if we are able to save it or if we are able to revive it or plant a new forest in the city, chances of survival of this forest because of awareness amongst people is a lot more than trying to conserve a forest which is far away in a national park. As urban dwellers, we should be focused on making sure that our urban environment should not be depending on air conditioning of our homes, air conditioning of our offices. We should not be buying air filters for our homes. This is not the kind of standard of life that city dwellers should be living in you know it's just the ways these solutions are applied so instead of poisoning your soil poisoning your air you would be fertilizing your soil you will be improving life in your soil and improving life in the air and the urban environment is no different from rural or forest like environment the flow of nature is same everywhere whether it's a village or town or capital city or europe or india asia it doesn't matter so whether you're coming back to your question what is that we can do to contribute you, you can stop or ask people who are worsening the problem by spreading more pollution, by spreading more things that are detrimental to the overall health of environment. Unless we are working with the nature rather than against it, it is only going to become worse. So from today onwards, we can start to think whether we are working with the nature or against it. And immediately you will start to get the right answer. And those solutions would probably be the best solutions for environment around us and our well-being. Thank you so much, sir. I have just one question for you before we move on. What kind of environmental changes related to the climate crisis do you observe through your work? Changes we have seen are changing of habitats of non-human species 
like when the british came to india they looked at our forest as a resource and they would plant only those things which would generate more money so things which they can later on cut and sell most of the forests were converted into timber plantation or lacquer tree plantation like in uttarakhand you would see pine tree everywhere the cheer now this pine tree though it is native but it was not so very well spread in our kumau mountains kumau mountains were supposed to be covered with oak forest but they have been changed to pine forest so this is one of the change which we have observed that has been happening since long before we were born but we can see the the timeline we can see how lacquer was in demand and to produce more lacquer they would plant pine trees and how that pine plantation resulted in spreading of fires in the kumau mountains and a lot of natural forest was burned and what regrew was again the pine tree plantation so this is a permanent change in environment that we have seen to reverse it we have to plant an oak forest back how it used to be before human intervention changed it also the kind of positive changes that we have seen is the kind of project i was talking about in delhi where we have brought back a native forest in middle of the city and we have been able to see some of the species of birds which are only found in forests and now you can see them in the city center as well in rajasthan we have a project called maru van so maru sthal maru means desert van means forest so it's forest of the desert and on instagram you can see maruvan underscore jodhpur and you will see some of the changes that we have been able to make in this region where uh, we have revived a species of tree called farash and it bloomed flowers even the villagers of that place living in close proximity they said that they are seeing that flower after 60 years so we have seen some of these monumental changes happening in such small span of time because we have been working with the nature and not against it so these are some of the changes in the environment both positive and negative that i have seen thank you so much sir now i would like to move on to prashita i am sure she has some more questions thank you vedhi mishta this is related to what we were talking about before so do you want to go ahead and pitch in your views All right. My question would be, how do you go about your project? I want to know about the Noida project that you're working on because I'm from Noida, and I would also like to know about how you start your project and how do you go about it. The first step for us is to find out the native species of that particular place. In scientific terminology, it's called the potential natural vegetation of any given geography. So, if we are making a forest in Bombay, we would go to the Sanjay Gandhi National Park, identify the species which are native to Mumbai, make a list of them, so that we can use those species and combination of these species to plant a forest in whichever area we are working. So, I. i'll give you this example so we have been doing a project in chandivali in bombay and we surveyed the sanjay gandhi national park for it using the same template we planted the forest in chandivali similarly for uh, delhi for the baratula area we surveyed delhi ridge and some of the hilly regions of aravalli the lower hills and whatever we could find along the yamuna flood plain which goes up to haryana which goes up to uttarakhand or up as well so it's not that we would be working only on that side where actually the forest has to be planted we would be working in a few kilometers or maybe a few hundred kilometers around that site because we have to find the original species that would have existed at that place before it was removed the second is to revive the soil to bring life back into the soil 
And to do that, we mix different types of biomasses in soil. We reintroduce soil microbiology. We would reintroduce a little bit of microbiology cultures in the soil and mix a lot of materials which they can consume. So they will eat, multiply, eat, multiply and convert the entire dead soil into fresh soil or healthy fertile soil. After that or parallelly, we collect the seeds from the mother trees found in a natural forest and grow seedlings out of these seeds. This methodology that we use is also known as potted seedlings method. Dr. Akira Miyawaki, my teacher, he called the methodology potted seedlings method, which is now known everywhere as Miyawaki method. But the original name that he gave was potted seedlings. So we will grow seedlings in pots and then plant them in this fertile soil that we have prepared at a density of three to five seedlings per square meter. After that, we will, we will cover the soil with thick layer of mulch, around six inches thick mulch made usually straw. And this mulch is going to protect soil moisture and uh, microbes will also thrive under the mulch. They will not be exposed to sunlight, so they'll survive, they'll flourish. We will keep removing any weeds that are growing on our forest. So we want only the potted seedlings that we have planted to survive, the rest everything will be pulled out. And this is a good way of separating fast growing weeds from the slow growing trees that we have planted. And once trees reach a certain height, maybe three to four feet, and they develop a little bit of canopy, they block entire sunlight falling on the ground. In lack of sunlight, the weeds will stop growing. So this is the stage when we can say that forest has become self-sustaining because all the leaves that fall, they convert into humus, which is food for the forest. The forest keeps keeps nourishing itself and continues to grow. So this is typically what the steps we follow. Of course, not every project is same, but these are basically common steps. Thank you. So it's a very fascinating journey. How long does it take for, for you to actually grow one forest? And do you work on multiple projects at a time or do you focus on like one project? And if you could also just tell us how many forests you've grown so far. I'm sorry, I was so curious. I just wanted to jump sure. in. So I'll start with the last question. We have made around 200 forests so far. And uh, in 2015, we went open source with our methodology. So a number of institutions, companies, organizations are using that method and making their own forests. So that number would be maybe even thousand plus. And consulting clients, we would do just one or two patches of forest for them. And then they will continue to plant more and more forests by themselves. That number also would be a thousand plus. Many projects. Right now, even I'm not aware of all the projects that is those that that are happening using our methodology but every now and then people keep sharing pictures of the work that they have been doing it's very encouraging for us another question was about do we work on many projects at a time the answer is yes but when we are on a site we are focused only on that site i would be personally involved in maybe four projects at a time our execution capacity is of three projects at a time. So three projects, there are three execution teams. All teams would be in different projects, supervising and executing stuff. But then we have some long-term projects, which are like maybe three year long, five year long. The planning itself might take three to four years because they're large projects. So those projects are running in parallel with all these four or five projects that we do at a time. So at any given point of time, I might be involved in maybe 10 projects four which are under execution, three to four which are under execution, two or three in conceptualization stage, two or three in master planning stage. 
our executive director might be involved in even more because he would be also talking to potential projects he would be talking to people who might be making a forest in future but that is also as time taking and involving as an ongoing project because here you have to convince a group of very smart people why they should be planting a forest instead of something else so you know it's it's like a funnel if we would be discussing 100 projects in a year we might end up doing 15 or 20 I forgot the first question. I forgot. I think uh, it was to do with how long it takes. It depends on the geography. In Iran or Rajasthan, it might take four years. In Uttarakhand, it might take just one and a half, two years, one and a half years. In Bombay, it might take just one and a half, two years. Bombay's Western Ghats, everything grows very fast. Here, it's Corbett, Jim Corbett National Park, floodplain, lot of water, lot of biodiversity. Things grow very aggressively. in rajasthan the soil uh, improvement takes around 2 years and then the forest starts to grow so overall it might take 4 years for the magic to happen but any given place within 10 years it will look like a project that would have taken 3 years versus a project that would have taken 1 year after 10 years they will all look the same got it thank you sir now i would like to tag prashita to add something or thank you nisha since we were on the topic of convincing very smart people on 22nd april this climate activist had set himself on fire in what was called and i'm quoting here a deeply fearless act of compassion to bring attention to the climate crisis so looking at the severity of the situation how much do you think can conserving forests help us you know co- combat global warming and the climate crisis it's not as severe as the fear mongers of the world want to convince us that it is if you look at the climate action that has happened in last 3 to 4 years is protest is driven by anger hate and fear these three emotions are negative emotions and anybody who is driven by anger fear hate is only going to fail act of self harm and you know to this extent igniting oneself is only going to provoke negative emotions it's only going to provoke more and more uh, anger and frustration no media no mass media no policy makers no politicians are going to tell you about this unless we start to use our own head and question everything this is also something which we are being stopped from doing today you say okay this climate crisis is making me depressed i'll do exactly opposite of what climate crisis activists are saying and they'll say oh no but how can you 99% of the scientists tell this and the science is right anything that is trending all of us have to be a part of it and all of us have to be on the positive side of it. the moment you try to take a stand on your own which is bang opposite of what the majority is asking you are going to face a lot of trouble which needs a lot of courage and people who are driven by fear anger greed or any negative emotion you know they they lack courage so it's it's a it's a vicious cycle and people of your age should not fall in that you should be driven by joy and love of forest joy of nature this is what differs us from any other species we humans have the ability to create new things when you actually create something using your own hands like i would collect handful of seeds from a jungle bring them to my nursery make seedlings then plant a forest using these seedlings and in 5 
six years, I'll see a magnificent forest. And I would know that it all started with a handful of seeds. Just imagine how empowering that feeling would be that with a handful of seeds, I have converted that this entire barren patch of land into a forest, working with the nature, not against it. This is something which you should be feeling right now. This is the power of creation that you should be feeling right now. Thank you so much. I think you've given me so much to think about. I mean, so much to not just learn, but also unlearn. So you said that we should concentrate on fixing forests in the city and as city dwellers, as uh, students and educators who teach in and learn in city schools. I was wondering if you think that schools and curriculums can play an important role in this process. Can we teach children to build a forest, to create a forest? Can we teach children soil microbiology? And do you think that it can actually create some kind of dent or or it can help us make some progress towards fixing the problem. Not just some progress, but this is actually the solution to all the environmental devastation that we see around us. Because we have seen it happening in the Netherlands. In Netherlands, we planted our first forest in December 2015. We planted it with school children. I don't know if you have seen that movie. If you YouTube Tiny Forest, you will find a 10 minutes video on our YouTube channel, which is the story of making up that forest in the Netherlands. And we planted those forests with 5th and 6th graders. There were two schools and the land was in middle of these two schools both of these schools combined we planted this forest Dan who is uh, who was leading that project at that time he worked in education he worked for an institute called IVM Institute Food Nature Education and Sustainability in Netherlands he developed a curriculum we had a one year long course of tiny foresters where we would uh, give them a uniform and children would plant forests make observations of biodiversity in the forest, take the measurements of the growth of the forest. So basically in one year, a fifth grader would learn how to plant a forest, what kind of life it attracts, how fast it grows, what are the species it is made up of, what are the species it is attracting, so many other things. So how much I would know about a forest in Netherlands, equally or even more a fifth grader would know. That is something which once inculcated, you cannot take it away from a child. Anyone exposed to such experience while being in school at this age, you know that tomorrow when this child goes on to become CEO of the next billion dollar company or the next politician or the next mayor of the city, he or she is technically equipped for afforestation already. They are the ones who are going to fix the environment in large scale, but at a tiny scale with their tiny hands, you can actually get the local environment fixed within just one or two years. So yes, definitely it should become part of curriculum. It has already become part of curriculum in the Netherlands and Ireland. It's now probably happening in Australia also, informally. We try doing it in India, but we are a contractor, a consultant, and we are more corporate-like. So for us, it is not that easy to work with children, but many of our clients do that. And also with college students. A lot of college students are extremely enthusiastic about it. In Punjab, we work with a lot of youth. In Maharashtra, we work with a lot of youth. If you know Baba Amte's Anand one, there we make forests every year. Last time it was forest of 12,000 trees planted on one single day with 500 students. Wow. One of them learned how to make the forest. So you can imagine when they go back to their districts, their villages, they can replicate it if they really want to. Right, absolutely. 
So we have a short career section where we ask our guests about what it takes to do the great work that they are doing. And so the first thing that I want to ask you is if you could talk about some skills that you think one needs to have or develop in order to be a successful socio-eco entrepreneur, what would those be yes. for any students or educators listening? The number one skill is the ability to become self-sustaining. If you want to become a successful eco-entrepreneur, don't try to become a successful non-profit organizer. Don't try to establish a successful non-profit organization because then you are dependent on somebody else's profit. What is more important about any social project is it has to be self-sustaining. How you can make it self-sustaining is totally dependent on you. But don't make it so complex. Don't make that model so complex that it's difficult to execute. You make something, you deliver it, you get money in exchange for it. That pays off your, that makes your ends meet, that pays off the bills of you running your organization and that should be the way this story can progress and 99.7% or it's like very high percentage of all the startups shut down in their first three years and most of the times the reason is they are not able to make money whatever money they had they spent and in social sector it's like the founders of social organizations non-profit organizations spend most of their time raising funds instead of doing what they are supposed to do on ground so both of these models models are rejected you know the only model which is successful is i call it the pan shop model the guy makes pan himself he is the inventory manager he would buy the materials he would keep the stocks he would have a great customer relation he would keep the accounts owner operator means the owner who owns the business is also the person who is delivering the services this is the easiest way to start and this is the easiest way to become self sustaining so when i started my company 11 years ago it was just me one person then another person joined and for five years it was just two of us for five years we somehow ran the show with whatever meager income we had but that was the main reason why we could sustain ourselves if we would have suddenly gotten bigger and raised some money we were supposed to pay back our investors and do what not that would have killed the company altogether so why forest is a successful for profit social enterprise is because we value sustenance financial sustenance a lot we don't do projects where we are losing money we will do all the projects for the love of it but we will make sure that everybody benefits the client benefits we benefit our employees benefit our vendors benefit no cutting corners delivering the best quality services being as professional as possible just like any other industry that has always worked for us the number one and the most useful uh, lesson that i have learned is be self-sustaining so that you are not dependent on somebody else's profit Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think one one last thing that we usually like to ask everybody who joins us for these conversations is if you could share with us one thing you wish you had learned at school, what would it be? And it can be one thing only. To never lie. Interesting. I, I think we've got a lot of responses, but not one that's been this or even similar. Would you like to talk more about this? I learned it the hard way in my late 20s that you should never lie because I grew up in that atmosphere where making a mistake would have been attracted me being made fun of. So you can't make mistake or you will be scolded if you are making a mistake or if you're giving the wrong answer. That is, is something which I carried with me as a baggage into my professional and business life also. And there was one incident where I was so underconfident that when I started my company, I would never tell the prospective client that I am the founder of the company. 
I would say I work for a forest, but somebody else's. You know, to just safeguard myself from the unnecessary scrutiny, you know, the unnecessary conversation. I was not owning it properly. And it was a lie that I had to live until it reached the point where the client said, if you would have been the founder of this company, I would have given you the project because I really like your enthusiasm. But because your founder has not yet come and met us, though we are ready to give you such a big project, we will not give it to you. And now I can't go back and say that I have been shying and not telling you that the founder was there all along. <laughs> now it cannot be undone. Yeah. So I just walked out of that boardroom and let that big project slide from our hands just like that. And then I decided that I will never lie in my life again. Only in my school if I would have learned that probably I would have been a better entrepreneur. How interesting. So for for really for everybody listening, kids don't lie is not just something that your parents are constantly telling you. It's also like a practical life lesson from a successful eco entrepreneur. So now that I've grown up and I see my parents lying, I see my colleagues lying sometime here and there. I, I feel really bad for them. You know, it's only restricting their growth. It's not impacting the it's not impacting the world around them that much as yeah. much as impacting the person inside them in a very negative way lying is like not cool at all Absolutely. I mean, could not agree more, but this fresh perspective on on why you shouldn't lie is definitely refreshing, if I can say so. I have one question. Um, okay. Do you have any message for our young change makers who are listening to this podcast or who want to start a startup but don't know how to do that or who want to explore something that they're really passionate about but don't know how to go about it? What is your message for these young students? Message for someone who doesn't know how to go about it is that nobody knows how to go about whoever is starting today irrespective of how much experience of life and entrepreneurship they have if i am starting a new business today i would not know anything about it even if that business would have been done by many different people but it has not been done by me it has not been done by them you know so some people might say okay i'm gonna sell xyz and then you know their colleagues would say oh but it has been done so many times so many people have done that that might be a little discouraging because they might think oh i thought it's a new idea but it's already been done you told me right now and then they would google and they will find that it has been done but the point is it's not been done by them and you are a different person so when you would do it you would do it in a totally different way the dna of that business would be different because your dna is different from everybody else you will never know it until you do it that is the only way of knowing and this is the biggest problem the only way of knowing it is by actually doing it. so if somebody wants to start up my only advice would be start small you can think big but take that first step as soon as possible because the moment you start everything starts to fall in place and until you keep thinking nothing will 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 move tangibly so the only way to know it is by actually launching it and seeing what happens yeah, it's definitely so inspiring. It actually reminded me that uh, when I was a kid, my mom had put up this big poster in my room, which I used to hate at the time. But now I'm I'm beginning to realize the value in it. Um, it said in just it was a plain white big poster with just black text that said, "Don't just sit there, do something." Uh, <laughs> and and that time I used to find it quite ridiculous, and I used to think these are really not this is not life changing advice. How how far is this going to get me? 
but combined with what you just shared i think if you're never going to have the perfect solution there possibly is none but you're never going to know till you don't step out and actually do something so i i think that that's really a great message to uh, bring this conversation to an end i'm so so thankful and grateful to you for joining us i hope that it was even if it was one fourth as interesting an experience for you as it was for us i think it will be I, i'd be very very happy with that Thank you thank you Shubhendu thank you so much for joining us yeah no but vedi uh, nishtha uh, and prishita uh, was great talking to you and aspita thanks a lot for organizing this and i had a great time we'll soon be back with our next episode till then you can listen to our previous episodes and also read our latest newsletter the link will be in the show notes you can also write to us on byanewsdd@gmail.com or message us on instagram @newsdd with any questions or suggestions goodbye and have a nice day